Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. So for those that are completely new, the message which is a message to the whole world can be found on my website at ultimatemeaning.com. The one video that is the most effective at communicating that message has now been made the video that is shown most prominently on that website in the video gallery with many other videos that I have there. Also at ultimatemeaning.com, there is a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me that answers very hard questions and has also in the print that is highlighted in red many videos that reveal from science and archaeology, many fields of science, all the evidence that most people are not aware of that is very irrefutable, that points to ultimate reality and meaning. So for that broad message, for those that are new, you should watch that video because this video is specifically for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. And there is only one quality that can qualify who the one true God could only possibly be, which if you go to ultimatemeeting.com and watch that video, you will find has arguments that cannot be argued against, reasoning that cannot be reasoned against, and evidence that you cannot refute. Pointing to ultimate meaning and destiny and fulfillment for your life. Pleasure that goes on forever and ever without end, which is only found in the one who created you, who created you for his pleasure, and you find your ultimate pleasure when you are brought into oneness with the one true God, for whom to know is life eternal. I'm referring to the ultimate reality as he is referred to in the Bible in the Old Testament. The English word is usually the word Lord, which is often accompanied with the word God, the Lord God, it will say. Well, the word Lord in the Hebrew original language is Yahweh, or some pronounce it Yehovah, but the more accurate pronunciation is Yahweh. And that basically means the I am that I am, which is how he, God described himself when he came to Moses, sent him to call the children of Israel out of Egypt. Yahweh, the I am that I am, the ultimate reality, separate above, apart, and beyond creation. And, of course, the, the word God is often the word Elohim, meaning the Almighty's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to go in this video message, but you can find it on the one I referred you to that if you are new. But for God to be God, he must be in three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence which are beyond creation and time and space as the Father, in creation, fully expressed as the Son, into creation to communicate with creation as the Son, and 
you know, omnipresence is the Holy Spirit. And so you have to be in, obviously, conscious intelligence, consciousness, and full personage to rule. And those, all these, those three ultimate aspects, obviously, if you weren't, you wouldn't be ruling in it. Okay, so I don't want to get into all of that here. Check out the video message. So, for those that have found the one true God through Jesus Christ, this message is given in a very different way. It says in the Word of God in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do. And that is what all believers, genuine followers of Christ, when they are gathered together, especially should seek to do. It is greatly lacking. Pastors don't do it. They don't seek to speak as the oracles of God. Now, in Revelations 19.10, speaking as the oracles of God is more further understood because there it says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a pure heart and great reverence and love for God, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances, which are speaking as the oracles of God, or in other words, speaking prophetically. And as it says in Revelations 19.10, that testifies to the reality of Jesus Christ or of God and who he could only possibly be. And so I will seek in this message to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship with very little preparation. What I do is I reverently, with prayer, use two independent random applications that will choose any possible chapter in the Bible. And then, when those two chapters are taken by lot before God, I pray, of course, before all of this, I sanctify these two. I apply the blood of Christ, clicking my mouth on them. And then I believe God by faith that he will lead me to the right two chapters that would both bear witness with each other as to the message and the theme that I discover in those two chapters that bear witness with each other. I meditate on the chapters for half an hour and then I speak. Now, I've only been doing a video message once a week. And I must apologize because I said last week that I would be starting to do audio messages as well about, I believe I said two to possibly five times a week. That's not possible right now because of other things I am preparing to do as I am preparing to start having a gathering together around Christ, most likely on Sundays around 3 p.m. in a totally new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from dwelling in assembly. And that will be explained further on in this message at some point. So I want to share with you what I received this week. Of course, since I've only been doing one video message a week, I can only touch on the various things I received by the casting of Lot throughout the week. 
and then allow the Holy Spirit to focus on whatever it is out of those days of the week that is in particularly being drawn forth. I have no idea what I'm going to preach. I feel completely helpless in myself. But I'm asking God to speak with enlightenment and revelation and prophetic utterance. That this message may be a message that is for this particular time to the churches, especially throughout the United States and especially throughout Canada and, of course, around the world. Because this is a time of obvious great crisis. And you only have to go to my website at either ultimatemeaning.com, as I mentioned, or loverealize.com, where I have all of these video messages, or many of them. And you will find on the homepage a little ways down links to the various news sources that give you the true information of what is happening in the world, which is a very serious situation. But I'm not going to be focusing on those things here because I'm on YouTube. And uh, God leads me to go to other providers, then I will. So, what I want to bring forth before we go into the message, is the song that I got by the casting of the lot from the playlist that I have on my website of right now, 149 songs. I eliminated some of them. I did have more, but I thought there was some I wasn't particularly keen on. But all of the things which you will see on this playlist soon of YouTube videos can be playing on an overhead projector if you can connect to the internet, and I've already tested all the equipment I have, the screen, the new laptop computer that I received by God's amazing provision, because I didn't have money for one that I needed to do this, and God miraculously provided my domain name sold, which I haven't sold domain names in years. Someone decided to buy this one for almost or it worked out to almost 2,000 Canadian. Of course, they took a commission off that, so it came to a bit over 1,500 Canadian, but that allowed for me to have, just at the time when I was asking God for the laptop, saying I lent my laptop to someone who was poor because they didn't have, and they went and broke it, and, and they don't even have it. Lord, please, um, would you provide? And he provided. Thank you. Praise God. That's a confirmation that he wants me to start these church services. He's providing for what I need. And so you can also, because I have an overhead projector that goes with the laptop, I can play these songs as you will see them on the screen. And so the one today is not one I'm particularly... Um, it's one of the... It's a good song, but, you know, most I like all the songs that are up there. So this is the one that came by the casting of Lot. And so that's the one we will do today, so... I will minimize myself once the song begins to play, okay? So you don't have to be too concerned about that right now. I'm going to begin to play it first, and then I will minimize myself. Always true 
8. How wonderful. You know, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what happens to many of us is our hearts are caught up with the busyness of this life. It's just that the world system and its selfishness and corruption creates a system that causes us to be easily drawn into a web of busyness. And we do not draw aside like King David did. He was tending the sheep and he had that harp that he played or whatever the instrument was that he played. He was in a place where he could be in solitude with the creator in the beauty of his creation and undo the web of busyness, a place of solitude, a place of hiding, of intimacy. God is calling us, he's calling us to come to that place in our lives personally, but many of us have been deceived, even into religious busyness like the church of Ephesus, and have lost our first love. We're living in a time when the Spirit is trying to call us. He's knocking at the door of our hearts. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door and come into me, I will commune with him and he with me. That's what happened to the church of Laodicea. They deceived themselves with equating godliness with wealth. With the pleasures of this life, they were caught up with those things. My, when you have a love relationship with God, you lose your attraction for those things. You have such a deep subjective experience at times, not that it's always feeling because it's far from that. It's like exercise. You go through times when you're just persevering by faith. Your muscles are resisting spiritual muscles or resisting the oppression or whatever it is. And you're learning to trust God in those times. But when you seek God with all your heart and you abide in him, you have many times of communion and fellowship. I used to go in the woods when I was young, even at 14 years old, and pray an hour and a half. And I loved to go in the woods. Even when it was pouring rain, I would go out and pray in the woods. God is calling us back to be his house of prayer. He's calling us back to become the generation of them that seek thy face. O Jacob, as it says in the word of God, Jacob means deceiver. The one that was trying in his own ways to please God, but he had at least that hunger for God that allowed the unraveling of deception to the point where he became Israel. But many of us have lost our thirst for God because it's been quenched by the loves of this life, the pleasures of this life. He's calling all of us to draw aside and to seek his face in our personal lives and to lay down the things that are taking up so much of our time 
the things that are distracting us so much. To learn to lay it down even when it costs tremendously as far as the things in the natural go. You might have to give up a high-paying job. In order to have the time to seek God, so be it. Many have lost status and position in this hour because they have refused to compromise. They have been like Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, like Daniel, who refused to eat of the king's meat and of those things that would defile. To the cost of even being thrown into a fiery furnace. And they found out that the presence of God, because they knew a life of prayer, was surrounding them in the fire with even the Son of God being there in person, each in a very real way, in the midst of that fire with them. And so he will be with those that trust him and pay the price in this hour when there is great trial coming upon the earth and tribulation. But there's going to be also not only great apostasy, but those that will know the abundance of a relationship with God and will shine his lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. As the word of God says, arise and shine. In Isaiah 60, for gross darkness will cover the earth and we're in the time of gross darkness. And those that arise and shine will be those that will reap the harvest, that will be ready to bring that harvest in to the gatherings around the living God, Yahweh the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I want to share with you, and I don't know what I'm going to share from all of this, what I received this week by the casting of Lot. And I will say in the casting of Lot before God, it's to facilitate speaking all the more prophetically. It does say in the word of God, blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. What? Feeding the meat, feeding the sheep, their meat in due season. Are the shepherds seeking to speak what the Spirit is saying to the churches? To speak from the heart, to speak prophetically, to allow God to speak through them and to facilitate it not only in them but in each member of the body of Christ. They should all be moving in the gifts of the Spirit. But no, they don't want that happening. Even though that's what God wants. He doesn't want anything less than to be able to move with the wind of his Spirit and to cause the perfumes of great variety to come forth from all the beautiful plantings in the body of Christ. The oil ran down on Aaron's beard. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that runs down on Aaron's beard all the way to his feet, the feet representing the basest soul, the beard representing the most noble and all in between. The presence of God comes into the body when there's freedom for each member to move in the gifts of the Spirit. It says in the word of God 
that he gives more abundant honor onto the part that lacks, or the member that lacks, so that there should be no schism in the body of Christ. But if the member that lacks cannot manifest the gifts of the Spirit, how can, he, how can they manifest to others the love of God in a greater way so that those that are looked up to too highly are humbled if they're proud? You see, it is by pride that comes contention. It is by pride that comes division, which comes out of the lack of, of the genuine fear of God. That is what the enemy also robs us from. When we form an insular cell in our lives so that we don't feel tears for the loss because the world in our own life has made us insular. Because we haven't learned each day in a life of individual prayer to break up the fallow ground and to cast our cares on him and to begin to show our affection and love for God, to seek him in our lives, individually and corporately. Do you want the visitation of God in your life? Keep seeking him. You may seek him all your life like myself. I'm still praying and expecting a special visitation from God. I had one in 1975. An open vision in front of three other people. I'll never forget it. I'm not going to share that right here. I needed it because the enemy was so terribly attacking me and condemning me and my own heart was condemning. And yet at the same time, I was very hungry for God. Even that time in fasting and prayer. I was greatly condemned because of my own weaknesses with temptation in the flesh and so on. Of course, I was repenting of it, but I was so easily deceived to fall so many times. But the word of God says, if a righteous man falls seven times, yeah, will he pick himself up and say, God, be merciful and really mean it. And eventually he will learn to walk over the deception of self and become Israel, as I mentioned earlier. I want to share with you what I received this week by the casting of Lot. I believe it's here. I can touch on it, and I should say in the casting of Lot's that sometimes... I get chapters and I say, after meditating on them for a half an hour almost, because I only spent a half an hour on them, Lord, I don't see any hardly any theme in here. This is so, and I can't see it. Sometimes until almost the very end. And indeed, it would seem that sometimes I would could draw the conclusion that maybe you can put any two chapters together, whether it's from God or not, and somehow find a common theme. I don't know if that's true. I don't think so. No, I know it's not true. Because I've had times when I have not pleased the Lord and I've noticed those are the times when he doesn't allow that to work. Even though I've repented, usually still he's displeased until the next day. Not that that's always the case, but I've had that. Well, this week, there was a lot of chapters that seemed to be I could see the common theme in them. And usually when the theme is harder to perceive, it's usually more rich what comes out. 
when you put two chapters together by the casting of lots. So I'm just going to touch on some of the things I received this week. First of all, and today is Saturday, September the 23rd of 2023, and maybe I will do more time on that one. I, it just depends how the Holy Spirit leads. So on Monday, I received Psalm 60 and 1 Corinthians 14. And both of those chapters reveal a sign shown to the unsaved that they may know that it is the truth. So in Psalm 60, we read this, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That means stop and meditate on this statement. God gives a banner to them that fear him. Something that people can recognize that's unique about them. And maybe they're even decide, inspired if they're representing a particular congregation or tribe like they were in Israel to draw that banner forth under the inspiration of the Spirit. But there is a banner on those that fear the Lord. They shine, and there's a savor of life unto life to those that are being drawn unto life and of death unto death to those that are being drawn unto darkness. God wants to display the, his glory in his people because of the truth of who God is. In fact, God can be described as truth and the very source of truth. You only have to look in dictionaries to know that the word truth basically in different dictionaries means that which is real or reality. So you look up what the word reality is and you discover that it means that which is indestructible, immovable, unchangeable. And the truth is a quality which I could go into great in-depth teaching on this, which I have on actually the introduction message to the whole world, which is on the main video at ultimatemeaning.com. I cannot go into this here for time. But truth is a quality. And God is this ultimate quality. And I mean by quality, the very ultimate quality. A quality that is able to contain unlimited life, unlimited power, unlimited authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way. Only this would be indicative of being the very source of unlimited life, power, and authority, which is who only God could be. And truth is the quality of what love is. God is love, and he is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love, and that love has integrity. It will not tolerate what is contrary to love. 
love being a quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. So I share this quite often. But it bears repeating all the time. And so, love, in its first aspect, always will not tolerate corruption. But what's amazing, and it's represented by the negative symbol, and of course the negative symbol represents an indestructible foundation, it represents cutting off all corruption, but what forms the positive symbol is by crossing out the negative symbol, that forms the symbol of the cross, that God's love always has been in the infinite past, not only a capacity in his being, but a reality as if it all, in fact, it did already happen in the infinite past, in the being of God, that God would have that quality and did in time and space enter into this world and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. Taking judgment upon himself for your sins, becoming a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice. Yes, truth is these two aspects of love. The first, the integrity of love that will not tolerate corruption, and the transcendence of that integrity without violating its integrity for God to absorb judgment upon himself, which he did in Jesus Christ by shedding his blood on the fully tasting death and having his, broken, his body broken in great humiliation, on the fully tasting death, absorbing it and conquering it because he never lost union in his faith in the Father, even when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was not in a state of rebellion, but was in a state of selfless trust. He always was God in the flesh, never, and he overcame as God in the flesh. There's no such a thing as that time that he was no longer God on the cross. That's denying that God conquered death in the flesh. It was out of his total selfless union with the Father in that time of experiencing the forsaking of God's judgment upon him that he fully absorbed and conquered death on the cross. And so when it says, This day have I begotten thee, one place it's referring to when he was born into the world. In another place it's referring to the resurrection. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't God. He's being brought forth. This day have I brought you forth into the world as a, as a child. This day have I brought you forth in resurrection, in the time realm. But it was a reality beyond the time realm. And there are many dimensions of time and many thousands of dimensions of time that can intersect each other so that God can come to people everywhere at the same time and be totally personal with them on another plane of time that intersects with this plane of time. And who knows if there isn't in this vast universe many other worlds where he could have also had that reality that was always in him manifested if there was corruption and rebellion. I know not the answer to that mystery. Nor do I need to, and I don't want to know anything except what God wants me to know. So truth is a quality that always 
is able to contain life in a constructive direction and never with corruption. It requires integrity to judge corruption and transcendence without violating the integrity to go on as it says, his mercy endures forever. And we praise God because it's only his mercy that can be manifested out of the truth, of the, which is the integrity of his love. We would never know the mercy of God if we did not know the severity of his love to judge corruption in our lives and in this world and in all the consequences of suffering we see in the world that it can cause us to dwell on all of the negative things as a result of our rebellion against God to cause us to buy into rebellion against God. Like Cain did with an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God that filtered down after the flood world into the first city that was built and the second one, Nineveh, by Nimrod, who said, according to Josephus, that he would take vengeance on God for causing the flood. He was on the side of rebellion because he bought in to focusing on the consequences of the integrity of God's love, and he rebelled against it. The very quality that ensures there will be a realm where there's no corruption, heaven, and that ensures that we can be forgiven and cleansed because his mercy can only come out of the integrity of his love. We can never know the mercy of God if we don't know that he is righteous in his judgments and that we are undone and worthy of our judgment to be in hell. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me, God has spoken in its holiness, I will rejoice, and it goes on. And of course, the other verse that went with this one was, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto men, but unto God speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. And it goes on to show also that tongues is a sign to the lost. So both of these chapters have something about a sign of God to the lost. One is tongues, which is the manifestation of utterances because of the Holy Spirit animating the perception and the animation of our heart with his presence so that we cry out like that old hymn says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And there's the manifestation out of those tongues, of his presence, of a very beautiful sounding language. At least it comes that way out of me. I'm not saying that others that may not sound that great aren't also having a genuine worship in spirit and truth. There is those that have a special gifting of tongues, which is one of the least gifts, which I have no doubt I have that gifting. Now, That's just money. <laughs> I can't preach a long time, I don't think, through every day of the week here. But we want to touch on what God is saying to the churches in this hour. He's wanting us to be those that know the genuine fear of God is mentioned here 
because it says that it's to them that fear God that are given this banner, because the fear of God is reciprocating who God is in the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, without rebellion against the consequences of his holiness in judgment on our own lives and in judgment in the world around us. And secondly, it is reciprocating the greatness of his mercy and his grace to us to have forgiven us. And it's as we receive Christ with those two receptions of heart that we are truly receiving who God truly is and not a false, idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God. So I go on here to share with you what I received was a Tuesday that I wondered if maybe I hadn't received anything. I don't know. It says here in both chapters, humility before God and each other is shown to be essential to receive the provision and ability to restore the people of God as God's conquering church and also to be used as a true servant leader. Now, I don't have time to go into those chapters and read them, but you will find that in those chapters, that is what is being said, that that is the common theme that ties those chapters together that I've received by the casting of Lot. And we know that humility comes only out of the genuine fear of God, because when you know that you are truly wrong because God is righteous and you're not, and that you cannot justify your sin instead of saying, oh, this is not really sin. God accepts this sin. Well, then you have an idolatrous perception of God that condones sin, don't you? Oh, God receives those in rebellion against them. Oh, God will receive you just as you are. Let's qualify that statement, pastors, when I hear you say that. When Christ said, whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out. He was talking about those that come with a heart of repentance. If you come with a heart that is unrepentant and deceived, he is not going to receive you. Because you're not really coming to him, though you could outwardly come forward to an altar call. But if you're holding on to deception in your heart, you're not really coming to him. And he's not going to receive sin. He receives those that repent of sin like King David, though they may fall many times before they learned, because every time you repent, if there's the real fear of God, there's a real genuine sorrow and desire to never do that again. Instead of saying, well, maybe I can, you know, I can get away with it. Just do it again because God will forgive me again. If you have that attitude, you don't know God. You don't have the genuine fear of God. You're deceived. You're in jeopardy of eternal hell. God is love. And his love is not going to tolerate what is contrary to love, what is corrupt, what is in rebellion against his love. He died on the cross for you, and you're going to justify rebellion and treat what he did for you like it's nothing? God forbid that you would deceive yourself that way, or that any of us would. We have to all be on guard, for out of our heart are the issues of life. On September the 20th of 2000, 
23, as if you don't know that. I received Hosea 14 and Philippians 3 plus Ruth 2. And there was a lot I found there, too. I wrote it out here very roughly with a microphone, so hopefully it reads right. In these two chapters is the common theme that reveals the secret to overcoming, is knowing God in our, as our source, especially as our Father. This is what's emphasized in Hosea 14, is knowing God as the Father. Now in Ruth, Ruth discovered God is her source on con, because of, the, of her source in unconditional circumstances of great loss and trial through the unconditional faith of Naomi. She saw a faith in Naomi. Naomi had terrible tragedies happen in her life. Her name meant pleasantness. When she returned, after all these tragedies happened, when she went to Moab to flee from the famine, she said, don't call me Naomi, because God has dealt with me severely. Call me bitter. But she never held rebellion against God. And Ruth saw this genuine fear of God that was unconditional Naomi. And I'm sure Naomi recognized that maybe they should have never gone. They should have trusted God in the famine to keep them right where they were in the nation of Israel instead of fleeing to a heathen country where the men married women that were involved with heathen gods. So there was consequences maybe of judgment there. They lost their, Ruth lost her husband. And then the two sons died, and she's left with these two women that are Moabites. And one of them is Ruth, and Ruth says she discouraged them to go back. She's going back to Israel. You go back to your gods. And Ruth said, no, I will not go back. Even if death part me between you and me, your God is my God. And she was totally brought to a place of recognizing the reality of God and Ruth to the point that she loved her God because she saw the reality of God in Naomi. Ruth saw the reality of God in Naomi. That was the banner that was in Naomi in the midst of that trial. In all the pain and the suffering, brothers and sisters, that we might see our friend go through, encourage them to keep trusting God through it to recognize that he's the potter and it's so easy. And I, we've all done it. We've all said that it's strange, the fiery trial we're going through. It seems like God's against us. It always does. It seems to go against the justice of God that we believe is right. Everything seems to be against us as it seemed to Job. But the issue was to come to the place where our trust in him, like it was with Christ, on the cross when he experienced the forsaking of God to not have a fist of rebellion and bitterness, but to say, somehow you're going to bring me through this, and in the end, I will come out into a wealthy place. That is what God is saying by his Spirit to his people. To know a relationship with him and so Naomi's attempt to overcome the famine, I already explained all of that. I don't need to. I, I already did that, okay? So that's what I received there. So what is God saying through all of this? 
Of course, Philippians 3 is about counting all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, see, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Are you caught up with the loves of the world? Do you count the pleasures of this life dung compared to a relationship with your Creator where your true pleasure will only be found that will not dry up? Whoever drinks of this water shall never thirst again. But if you drink of the waters and the wines of the world as a believer, it will cause your quench, your thirst for God to be lost. Who overcomes in the book of Revelation the context of those that overcome is it in Revelations 19, I think it is. He says, whoever is thirsty, come and drink freely of the water of life. If you're thirsty, you can drink freely of the water of life. But if you're not thirsty, how are you going to drink? You're not motivated to drink. Because your heart's another thing. And when your hearts and other things, when those things crumble, you will tend to crumble with it because a measure, a significant maybe measure of your identity has been put in those things. Instead of abiding in the vine, you've withered and you may be a branch that is cast forth and burnt in the fire if you've totally withered and fallen off. or been cut off because you bore no fruit. God wants to dung those around, put trials in their life to somehow bring them out of the deceptions of the loves of this life that they can justify with wrong teachings that equate godliness with spiritual, or, or godliness with material gain, without emphasizing that godliness is unconditional of material gain, and that our true pleasure is in a relationship with God to the point that we can be entrusted with riches of God so entrusts us with them where we don't find our pleasure in them and therefore we don't use those things to our own losses. God doesn't want us to trust in riches. He wants us to trust in a relationship with him so that we will know his riches in us. And after all, he's the source of all wealth and of all material wealth when he's abiding in us. That doesn't mean he's going to give us all kinds of things in this world to enjoy, but it does say in the word of God that he does give us things in this world to enjoy. And that's in the context of him being the central treasure of our heart because we're living a life of deep abiding love in him as was expressed in the song that was sung. We go on. And this is the day I did have a problem and I wondered really if and I really don't think there was a theme in these two chapters that I could say is a real strong theme, but I was going through a struggle this day, and I do believe I displeased the Lord, and he knew ahead of time, and that's why I concluded, man, that's why I'm not getting anything. And yet later on, I did see something in this the next day. Figure that one out. 
Well, that's the way it is. I'm human still. I still have things I... But I think I'm finally coming through the other side as far as not deceiving myself and becoming Israel. And so I could go on and share what's in this. This was about the woman touching the hem of his garment in Mark 5. And in Obadiah, it's about Edom, Edom and the pride of Edom. And the contrast is that the woman was willing to humble herself before God. And the contrast with Edom as a nation, they had come to a place where they had exalted themselves with the stars up in the heights and considered themselves very wise and so on. And God said, because you're so proud, you're going to be humbled. And what happens to Edom often happens to nations. They become proud. It also happens to corporate assemblies. The Church of Ephesus lost their first love. God was calling them back to it. I'm not going to get into that too much. Esau is severely judged, and his pronouncements of judgments are coming because of the pride. But in Matthew, we see the humility that brings wholeness and healing. And then, on Friday, yesterday, I received Ezekiel 31 and 1 Samuel 21. In Ezekiel 31, we see that pride is at the root of the wickedness that brings nations to corruption and their total destruction, leading them even in their destruction to destruction of, their, of the dead as a nation to hell. It describes the whole nation going down to hell. And particularly, it might be Egypt here, if I remember right. This is contrasted with David, who was also fighting the corruption of Saul, leading his nation. Saul had become proud to the point that he held on to power and desired people to look up to him more than to God and was so angry he was seeking to take David's lives. And we are seeing in the nations today that much of the leadership of the nations around the world has been deceived by the elite who have become so proud and so conceited that they are seeking to destroy the people for whom they were called to serve. And they really deserve serious judgment for the terrible damage that has already been done around the world. If you knew the statistics I saw today on Laurel and Tyler, today is September the 23rd, and I think the program was yesterday. You just go to the link in my site that goes to Laurel and Tyler and watch that doctor and some of the statistics he gave there. Yes. But David always humbled himself before God. And even before those that humiliated him, like the man that tried to stone him, 
He says, well, let him try to stone me because maybe I deserve it because of the way I've been that God would have allowed this to happen. It was because I was not doing what was right to help my son Absalom come out of the things he was deceived by. Maybe he was condemning himself, but he had that humility. Even did not cut off Saul's garment when he could have killed him right there and taken power. He had that reverence and humility. This is what the true government of God has, or those that are in conformity to the being of God, who poured out his life unto death out of love for us mere little creatures on this little speck of a planet. Yes, he humbles himself to even behold the things that are in the heavens, let alone coming down and suffering on the cross for us. Of course, you know how vast the universe is. This planet is just a little speck of dust, like a little speck of dust on the earth. All the telescopes now, of the, all the stars they can only see, know there's enough stars for every grain of sand to have 1,000 stars. Like our sun, which is 1,000 times greater than the earth, and some stars are 1,000 times greater than the sun. And light goes around the world seven times in one second. takes seven or five years to get to the closest star. This world is very big. This universe is very big. That's how great God is. And he humbles himself. He's so great that he can come down to his creation that he created, that he seeks to find pleasure in because he wants to be married to us. Corporately, individually. We're through a learning process here of learning to let go of these things so we'll enter into a destiny forever in love with him beyond your wildest imagination of pleasure, way beyond the pleasures you can experience in this very inferior physical dimension. I've written a book on the afterlife. Here it is. Afterlife, incredible, irrefutable, 368-page, large 6 by 9 paperback, which you can purchase on Amazon. You can get it on your Kindle or your whatever else. Believe me, this world is like a dream compared to the next. That's not even an accurate description that comes close. One person described it as like this dimension is like 2D compared to 3D that we're in. Like two-dimensional paper compared to this. That's how much more real it is. Wow. I mean, how awesome. So in this chapter, we have descriptions of nations. And I'll read a little bit of it. Ezekiel 31. This is describing Egypt, which represents the world system. It is the system that Israel came out of to enter the promised land. And even that was a process of great unraveling to come into a place of victory and conquer those nations that were sacrificing their children to demons and were a cancer that God required be destroyed because, after all, he destroyed the world with a flood because people were in such rebellion against God. You see, that's when you have... God's desire is that we would be his bride 
But if we make choices, he gave us free choice. That's the only way you can have the highest dimension of life, which is love, is if you're the source of your own action. But that means there's a potential to rebel. But his purpose through what we're going through in this world is to come into such a union and identity with him that we can be in a realm where this will never happen again in the least or slightest capability of ever happening again. And it'll go on forever and ever with ever enlarging pleasures in your life, <clears throat> unique only to you, and a love relationship with God and his myriads of creations, including human beings and angels. And then we read, <clears throat> To whom art thou, thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet shalt thou be brought down with the trees of Eden unto the nether parts of the earth. Thou shalt lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that be slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh, and all his multitude saith the Lord God. Now when it's in small caps like that with Lord, the word Lord means Adonai, and the word God means Yahweh. If it's larger caps, it's Yahweh Elohim. Elohim meaning the Almighty is referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. We go on, and I'm just going to read what's highlighted in the other chapter, because in the other chapter, which is contrasted with Egypt, we have King David being sought by Saul. And we read, So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread. It was taken from before Yahweh to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite. Remember, we just talked about Edom and its pride the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Wow. He was detained of the Lord. God foreknew even this tragedy because because of him, he told Saul about this and Saul slew all the priests, which was a terrible thing to do those that are the representatives of God, he goes and slays them out of his anger and rage because he wants all the glory and the power. This is what happens to people when they fall prey to pride because they are on a pedestal and people have a tendency to want to clap and show. It's not wrong to show reverence and respect to leadership. Don't get me wrong. When you have people in leadership that live it out, and that are an example like Moses and others. Not wrong to show respect to leadership, even when they are evil, like King David did to Saul, whose, whose heart was smitten when he cut off his garment, and he would not kill him. That is the contrast between Saul and David. It is a great contrast. It shows the evidence of one that is truly knows God from one that does not. Because they never enter in to be the genuine fear of God, which is necessary in order to truly believe in who God is and to truly be saved. Peter said it. 
plainly to Cornelius that now I perceive that all those that fear God are accepted of him. If you genuinely fear God, you do come to a place of genuine rebirth. I don't have time to go into this. Now I'm finally here and I can't preach another hour. I mean, I've been preaching for who knows how long right now. Today I received Romans chapter 8 and Ezra 3. And Romans is a wonderful chapter. I'd love to preach on it. It's got so much in it. But what I said here between, what is the theme between Romans 8 and Ezra 3 is the laying of the altar of the temple in Ezra 3, which speaks of what is key to overcoming to receive the full habitation and authority of God in us as individuals and corporately to overcome all things. And in Romans 8, it is about allowing the fullness of the indwelling of God in us by not going after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It is through the Spirit that we do mortify the deeds of the flesh. How do we go after the Spirit? Like King David did when he was out there playing the guitar or whatever instrument it was, harp, and looking after the sheep. Finding time alone with God and seeking God. Breaking up the fallow ground of our heart by reciprocating who God in reality is first in the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, and out of that, the greatness of his mercy and therein receiving his favor or his grace. And to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus requires that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, which is what happens out of the genuine fear of God. And that humility drives us to the place of honesty because the humility is out of the perception of our undoneness in the light of how holy he is and how unworthy we are in view of that and wrong we are. And out of that, comes real honesty and transparency that is birthed out of the humility. And really, the honesty also births humility. And in Romans 8, it mentions those that are born again of the Spirit. They that are led of the Spirit are the sons of God. We will be led of the Spirit when we're following after the Spirit. And in that case, we, will, we are able to go through all things. For in this chapter, it ends saying, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature, or famine, or sword, or whatever it is, shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And that was said in the context of quoting the verse that we are led as the sheep to the slaughter, which happened to Israel in the context of that verse when they were going into captivity and many of them that were righteous were being slain by the unrighteous. When we're in the face of injustice, it is easy to become angry and say, why did God allow this? 
But when we have the genuine fear of God, we recognize that whatever he is allowing as he will bring us through. It's what Job had to learn. Not to question God. Who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? God is very creative. That is what we need to recognize. We can trust him. He has our best interest in mind. He is creative. If we have chosen him to be the potter of our life, we can trust him through every trial. says in, to the church of the Thessalonians that ye shall through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. If we're going to choose to buy of him gold that is tried in the fire, it means we're choosing to go through whatever it takes to be purified, refiner's fire. is worth it all. All of us have areas that need to be refined. Trials that we go through, the whole world suffers. But when we suffer, we gain abundance of life when we come out the other end. The world goes to destruction because they crumble with the world that they put their identity in. When you crumble with the things that you put your life energies into instead of God, obviously you self-destruct. And you go on with a state of self-destruction and eternal separation from God and a terrible state of suffering and torment. I knew some Christians many years ago where I had a job with a particular company where I did photocopiers when I was very young, in my 20s, I believe. These were Christians and they were persecuting me and they went to a charismatic church. And I loved them all. But the manager was a Christian. He was saved from Satanism. And he discovered that his wife was going out with another man. You know what he did? He took a gun to his head and pulled the trigger and killed himself. And you know what God showed me? That he was repeatedly doing that in hell over and over. Do you know how many people in the afterlife, in my book, when they go to hell, it's been the sin that took them away from God that they keep repeating over and over and it torments them over and over again. There is that kind of, and there's other kinds of degrees of hell and so on. I'm not going to get into that. And I don't like dwelling on these things and talking about these things. But we need to recognize the reality of eternity and of the fear of God. I hope that somehow all of these people in the end get saved. But I don't think so. That's not what the Word of God shows Why did I see that? It wasn't like just something intellectual. I saw a vision of this after this happened to this man, and I feel terrible if that's what's the case that happened to him. I hope and pray with all my heart that why someone isn't a reality and was wrong. Of course I do. Let's not play games. Let's be safe with God. Let's be not only safe, let's be in love with God. 
How about that? Do you have the genuine fear of God? It doesn't cause you to be fearful of God in the wrong way, but in a healthy way that causes you to love the Lord more because you're reciprocating the beauty that is out of his holiness. It is out of his holiness that comes great love. His holiness is the integrity of his love. Now, the other chapter that came with uh, this chapter about Romans 8, I said was Ezra 3. And so in Ezra 3, you have the laying of the altar. And in Romans 8, really, that's what it is calling you to do. It's calling you to lay down the world and to build the altar. Now, it says that Israel was afraid when they laid the foundation of the altar. They were afraid of the heathen around them, but they still laid it even though they were fearful. And you may be fearful of what you're going to lose. You may be fearful of the consequences. But if you trust God out of that fear of God, it will swallow up the fear for self, which is a state of a consciousness of losses. It says in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear, but fear, the fear that is of self, causes up tightness because it's a consciousness of loss that is there because it's not being swallowed up by the love which is birthed out of the genuine fear of God. Because the genuine fear of God births a perception of, of, of God's love in both aspects as that sharp two-edged sword that circumcises the heart and causes a deep turning in the heart as you receive Christ like the publican that smote his breast and cried and would not lift up so much as his head to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And faith works by love. And so there's faith when you know that God's love and that he has his best interest in mind. It says we're to commit the keeping of our soul unto him as unto a faithful creator. And Peter, suffering and trials, we can trust him to be the creator, to be creative like Job learned. God was showing him his creativity in the whirlwind, what he created, that he could trust. And they sang together. Now, what happened in Ezra also is they also laid the foundation of the temple after the foundation of the altar was laid. And what God is calling now is for the foundation of his living stones to be laid so that he can have an habitation of God through the Spirit in living stones coming together across the nation of the United States, across the nation I am in in Canada and around the world to bring back the fulfillment, not the back, to bring forth the fulfillment of John 17 and of Ephesians 4 the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. And that's why I am starting a gathering around Christ or a church, if you will, I pray an overcoming bride church with a totally new order in the meetings. So that's what I seek to do. And near future, 
and I believe God has confirmed it already by providing me the needs of what I need. Of course, I'm going to be doing evangelistic outreach too. I'm setting up a brochure to invite people where they can ask questions on life after death in the units I'm in here. And maybe I'll go to the high school students and invite them that are coming out of the high school here. They want to learn about life after death and the scientific evidence for it. Maybe make a little card that I can give out to them. Tell them evolution's a lie. Come and check. I want to do that. These are things I'm planning to do. I'm not here sitting, fooling around and not going to live it out. I'm here to be bold and courageous and reap the harvest. Bold and courageous to start a meeting. Because I'm tired of churches not willing to go all the way with God. The churches hardly came out in the numbers they should have to protest against the terrible things that are happening in the schools. My, oh my. But they are waking up, I believe. God is calling for this new order to come into all assemblies. So, Lord willing, in the near future, possibly October the 1st, on Sunday at 3 p.m., I will begin to have gatherings around Christ. It's all in God's hands. I'm not going to do my own thing. If God suddenly shows otherwise, fine, but I doubt it. I believe he wants a pure work. I am tired of all the stuff going on. All the false teachers that take away from the fear of God and lead people astray. I'm tired of it. God's going to raise a standard against these things. He's not going to have it. But we need to come together as churches and come into this new order and repent. Come back to our first love. Thank you for watching this message. God bless you all.